Hey guys, welcome to the Bowhunting Soul podcast. Uh, before we get into the podcast, I want to talk about today's guest. Um, it, was an, it was an absolute treat talking to this guy. He's an absolute legend, a uh, guy by the name of Warren Womack. He is uh, from Louisiana. You probably heard him on, uh, on, on other podcasts. He's been on a few. That's how he got on my radar. I listened to him on, I think, Nine Finger Chronicles and uh, uh, Southern Ground. And he's just kind of, you know, I, I, I've, I've watched him on uh, some of his YouTube stuff. I've listened to him on other stuff. And the guy's just fascinating. He's 75 years old and still getting it done. Now, what's really cool about Warren is uh, the way he hunts and the way he has hunted for a long, long time. I mean, he's been hunting. I mean, he basically grew up hunting. Uh, he'll talk about all the stuff about his family and, uh, and growing up in Louisiana and things like that. But he's been doing things that are popular now, but he was doing them 25, 30 years ago. So this is a guy that likes to go uh, mobile, for example. Like right now, the current rage is, you know, going in mobile, uh, mobile, you know, run and gun kind of style, going in deep going in on backpack hunts for, you know, overnight or multi-day hunts, uh, going in and, and, and scouting, 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 finding deer signs, setting up, you know, figuring out uh, deer paths and, and uh, uh, you know, mast uh, trees and, and, and things like that. This guy was doing this stuff a long, long time ago. Uh, he's shot everything from, uh, you know, w with deer with everything from, you know, from rifles to muzzle loaders to uh, compound bows to recurves, and he's still getting it done. And not only has he done all that stuff that was that's kind of popular now, he's been doing it back then, he was also doing, uh, you know, quartering out deer. You know, now it's, it's kind of um, gotten on people's radar that, man, I don't have to drag this deer out, you know, a mile, two miles or whatever after I shoot this thing, which is just, just a pain. Uh, here's a guy who figured out a long time ago, man, I'm just going to like debone this thing in the field or quarter him up, put him on my backpack and just hike him out. That's a very popular thing to do now. Uh, a lot of Western guys have been doing that for a long time, but it's, uh, it seems like it's relatively new, uh, on most whitetail hunters, uh, um, uh, radar. And this guy's been doing it for, you know, a long, long time. And not only that, uh, he is a recent convert to saddle hunting. He said about three years ago, so at the age of, let's say, 71, 72, he decided he's going to go and, you know, look into this, this saddle thing because he's a mobile hunter. He got tired of, uh, you know, hoofing around uh, uh, tree stands and, and things like that, and he went and, 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 and got a saddle. So if any, you know, saddle hunting obviously is booming, uh, now and I know I, I you know if you see any of my stuff on YouTube um, I kind of feel like uh, like the vegan CrossFit guy you know because vegans and CrossFitters when they first become vegans and CrossFitters don't ever stop talking about being a vegan or a CrossFitter so I apologize with all the the saddle hunting um, you know deluge of information and stuff but uh, if any of you guys are on the fence about you know, are you old, you know, are you too old? Are you, you know, not fit enough or this or that? Here's a guy that the age of 75, he's still getting it done. Now he says, obviously he's not going as high anymore. He uses climbing spurs, by the way, which is very cool. Um, and he has for a long, long time. He's not going as high. He's not going as deep, but this guy has uh, been, you know, doing this legendary style hunting uh, for a very long time and he's not afraid to change at the age of 70 71 72 he's like I'm gonna go you know sit my butt in a saddle and and he still is, is loving it you know so anyway I hope you guys uh, enjoy this interview with Warren it was an absolute pleasure to talk to him you could probably talk to him for hours and hours and hours um, if you've heard him on other uh, podcasts uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll know that he's um, uh, he, he has uh, documented 
pretty much every deer he's ever killed for the last like like 30 some years or whatever he has a book and he can tell you uh you know flip to the page you know deer number you know 243 was killed at this time with this weapon and and whatever um it, it just amazing we didn't get into that because you probably heard that kind of stuff on on other uh, other podcasts but i mean i could have talked to scott to this guy for another um another hour or two at least so uh thank you warren for uh for coming on the show so um also before we get into it uh if you guys uh like this it's really really important that you share this podcast uh and, and leave a rating sharing is huge uh, you know i don't care whether you share it with your uh uh compound hunting buddies or your traditional hunting buddies or uh, i don't even you know rifles and things of like that um share you know i got a youtube channel out there and and um you know all of those things, when they go out, they, they, they really help us get uh, uh, ranked higher and show up and, and, and pop up on other people's feeds. So please go and leave a rating. That's really, really, really important. And if you want to support the show at all, uh, remember, we have a um, uh, T-shirt store uh, on Teespring. So that's uh, it's teespring.com. That's T-E-E Spring dot com slash bowhunting soul or if you go to teespring and type in bowhunting soul as far as uh, uh storefront goes we've got some uh, t-shirts out there uh very very you know very nicely priced they're not they're not you know crazy they got we got some pretty cool designs that you know I, I like them i wear them um i even order from there so uh please go ahead and check that out so anyway just thought i'd get into that and uh without any further ado please uh uh enjoy this episode with mr warren womack all right, everybody. Uh, welcome to uh, the Bowhunting Soul podcast. Today, I have another special guest. Uh, this this one's a treat for me. I've been wanting to get uh, this gentleman on for a while. And uh, if you listen to uh, you know other podcasts, which I'm sure you do, you'd recognize the name of Warren Womack. And uh, and it is Womack, right? Not Womack. You pronounce it Womack. That's Womack. Womack. Yeah. Womack. Cool. I'll, I'll answer the Womack. Most uh, anything though, but sadly, I always pronounced it uh, Womack. Walmack, got it. And well, <laughs> well, why don't you tell us uh, for those who don't know, uh, you know, where where do you live and uh, and what do you do down there? Well, I live in uh, south uh, Baton Rouge, South Louisiana. It's a little town kind of north of Baton Rouge called Clinton, and uh, we're just about six miles southeast of there. Uh, and I've been here pretty much all my life. So you pretty much, uh, I mean, you you are like born and raised Louisianan, right? I mean, the, the area that, that you hunt, um, you know, live in, hunt in, all that stuff. I mean, I'm guessing, is it, tell me a little bit about that terrain. Is it is it deep swamp? Is it more, uh, uh, you know, like, you know, pine trees? Or I, I've never really spent much time down there. I've been around the area a little bit here and there driving through, but I don't really have much experience on the ground. Yeah, the area I live in is, like I say, it's about 30 miles north of the Baton Rouge area, and it's a kind of rolling hills. It's got pine and hardwood mixed. What's left of the timber anyway, all of, a lot of the larger tracks are all been clear-cut multiple times, and uh, so, you know, it's, it's just mostly rolling hills. Okay. Is it is it as swampy as I'm imagining it, or where you are, like you said, is just more um, like like when when they when they deforest it like that, or cut you know cut down you know what they cut down? What does that turn into? Does that does that kind of dry up, or does it uh, you know what what takes over? No, well, usually they'll go back and replant the pines and, and replant them, or either just let them come up natural. It's, they, the reason they most that they cut them, I, I believe it's. Uh, 
the price of it to, to make money off of it, and then they reseed it. Sometimes they even grow it and plant the, plant the pines in the little rows and everything. But uh, it's just a, it's a money opportunity for them, basically. It, it, I'm sure it takes a while for that stuff to grow uh, to, to grow back too, right? But what, you know, it does. It, it really does. And, you know, the first couple of years, it's, it benefits the wildlife, the deer and everything, for the browns and what have you. But after it grows up to a certain level, you know, it's, they don't have any food source basically at all in there. They don't eat those pine cones and pine needles, you know. So, but so, we don't have the swamps here. You know, they got a few uh, rivers and large creeks in the area, and, and you got this bottomland type deal in there from the rolling hills and you got the hardwood uh it's not what i'd call the big swamps like they have in southern part of Louisiana. okay okay now before we get too far down the road here um we, I, I gotta ask now you are known as a guy who's been doing this a long time and i don't mean that in a bad way do you mind telling everybody how old you are i'm 75 right now 75 years old and you are still like getting it done i mean it, again, if people don't know, I mean, you're you're kind of a, not just a local legend. I think in the last you know several years with social media and uh, you know w- w- with YouTube, which you have a YouTube channel too as well. I'm going to talk about later. Uh, I, I mean, you you've kind of been well, kind of uh, recognized, I guess, been recognized as a guy who's you know we we think of doing all this you know deep woods uh, hunting and backpack hunting and packing stuff out, but I mean, you've been doing this. Uh, for a long time before it even was even popular, correct? Yeah, I was. Uh, I started uh, hunting at 68 here. I was a small game hunter from a you know a young kid and I think raised up small game hunting and I think we didn't have any deer in our area back when I was a kid. And in fact, I was 24 years old before I killed my first deer in 1968. 1968, and, uh, yeah. And that was with a gun. And in '69, I started bow and uh, just kind of progress from there. I, I look at my my progression and success progression in deer hunting is like a apprenticeship program. You know, it took me about four years with the the the, uh, the knowledge that was available. You know, they didn't have YouTube and they didn't have videos and anything like that. You had three outdoor magazines, basically. Yeah. And uh, that's the only place I had to get knowledge from. And it was about, I don't know, there was four or five of us two guys that I knew started bow hunting about the same time back in 69 and, and uh, like I said it was like about a four year, it took me four years to to figure out the best way to do it and get the best equipment I could and, and then it just got better from there. Now when you um, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're retired now what, what did you do for a living? I was a, uh, a, a electrician I was in a member of Lonky in 1995 uh, electrical IBEW local from uh, Baton Rouge. Okay, so that's... Uh, we had a hundred anniversary uh, celebration Saturday night. A bunch of us got together. In fact, uh, I don't know how many hundred there was. There was a lot of people there. We had to celebrate a hundred years. Wow. That's, uh, now, was that like residential or commercial? Or uh, were you like an out- outside lineman or anything like that? Or Well, we did it all, but... My, my career was divided up pretty equally three ways. It was uh, it was commercial, industrial, and nuclear. So I, uh-huh. I had about an equal amount of years in that field scattered mm-hmm. out through the whole whole uh, time. Cool. Now, did did uh, did a lot of guys uh, that you worked with were they into hunting as well? You said it wasn't 
you know, you didn't quite have the deer populations back in the, you know, in, in the 60s and early 70s, probably. Was it a popular thing to do uh, where you were? Well, you know, the small game, but we didn't, have, we were from not having any deer to having a lot of deer. <laughs> yeah. Kind of thing. It's like a, like a, they opened the gates and all of a sudden there was deer pretty much everywhere. In the early years, what few deer they had in Louisiana was uh, along the Mississippi River up in North Louisiana. Okay. And, but that's where I first started going. I had to travel up there when I first started hunting. And it just seemed like a matter of just a few years uh, that the, the deer population exploded. And, and it got a lot better. And, of course, it's on a, I, I believe it's on a decline right now. But uh, it, but the guys, yeah, I had some, I hunted with some really good hunters. You know, we all come up about the same time. And, and uh, I take a little... So that certainly a bit, you know, obviously rubbed off on you, and uh, you just kind of went from there. You said you uh, you, sh you shot your first deer. Well, before we get to that, I, I had a question. Now, the deer you said uh, there wasn't a whole lot of them in in Louisiana. Is this a part of the whole like like transplant thing that went on? Um, you know, I, I know they brought some like Virginia deer and Minnesota deer here and there uh, to Alabama and things like that. Was Louisiana part of any of that, or it was it just a natural? You know, they just kind of expanded their range and, and, and flourished there. Well, you know, they did. They did transport some down in here in different areas, and there's been different areas. But the area that I was, I'm involved with, it just kind of came down from Mississippi. Okay. It's just like it just emerged in the state, in that boot part of the state down in there, and it just. I think most of them just kind of worked their way down from Mississippi. So it was I mean, more, I was a kid. Yeah. My my grandparents lived uh, in, in in a little community probably <clears throat> 10 miles south of the Mississippi state line and I, I was about eight years old up at their house in, in the woods across the road from their house and I actually saw a buck when I was about eight years old and I ran as hard as I could <laughs> from where I saw that deer all the way to my grandparents house and I just couldn't hardly talk I was so excited about seeing a deer you know and I was about eight ten years old Pre then. pretty rare sighting back then huh yeah, oh, it was the most exciting thing I've ever seen, just a <laughs> with horns and everything. You know, I was just a kid, and I was so impressed with it. And, but that was the kind of the beginning of the trend of the deer started working back down in here. But but it was actually, 
I say 24, I was 24 years old, you know, 1968, mm -hmm. before I killed my first deer. Wow. And you said that was with, uh, was with a rifle. What Do you remember what, uh, what you know, what, what rifle that was, what caliber? I mean, our first... It was usually... a 30-30 uh, lever-action Marlin. Oh, nice. Okay. Very nice. Actually, it was a Greenfield, Marlin Greenfield, I think is what they call it. Okay. I, I, I passed it on to one of my grandsons now. He's got it now. Now you uh, you mostly bow hunt though. Are you, do you exclusively bow hunt, or do you do you pick up the rifle or muzzle loader at all down there? Well, yeah, I, I gun hunted some, but I was into bow hunt so much that the majority of my hunting was uh, was uh, gun hunting. And then a few years ago, I, I killed my my one hundred deer with a recurve, and I had kind of been on a quest to do that and. and once I, I did that, it's kind of like somebody let the air out of me. It didn't seem as important anymore. <laughs> and I kind of become a season hunter now. You know, if, if it's bow season, I'll hunt with a bow. And if it's gun season going on, I'll hunt with a gun. And if it's a primitive season, I'll, I'll hunt with a, a, a primitive gun. You know, I just kind of aged out of that, just totally bow hunting like I used to do. No, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I, I try and, uh, you know, bow hunt, I mean, that's what I, you know, that's like my passion, right? But, um, you know, I, I'm an opportunist for trying to, you know, obtain meat as well. So, I mean, I take advantage, you know, um, I, I'm gone a lot for work, so I don't get to spend like, you know, weeks and weeks at a time or whatever. So if I'm out and it's, it's rifle season, I might get like a day or two. And if it's muzzleloader season, I might get a day or two. So I'm going to take advantage of, um, you know, the cheater stick, if you will, you know, if I, if for, to be able to go and, 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 and harvest some meat, you know, but other than that, I'm 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 carrying a I'm carrying a, a bow, and you know, and on the on the on the other shooting side, you know, I I I got into like uh, reloading and, and hand loading and and you know casting bullets and this that and the other. So that was a whole like separate hobby that you know they came about that. But I mean, I'm so immersed in the you know the tinkering and messing around with um uh with with, with bows now, you know, that I I don't I don't really tend to do much of the other the other stuff i don't think i picked up a rifle and over on honestly shot one in over a year and a half because uh, i didn't get a shot on anything last year but anyway that's that's an aside now you're um where you're hunting down there is it is it just all uh, public land or is it uh, do you have any private land access or do you, mo do you mostly uh hunt public well you know about it probably uh, moved out to where we lived about 14 years ago so that was 2005 mm -hmm. and uh my hunting really changed drastically once we moved here. I, I, I got some age on me, you know. I wasn't able to go off and hunt the, the multi-day hunts like I used to do. My, my main thing was to go off and make three and four day hunts. Okay. And then come back, and rest up a couple of days, take care of the meat, and then go back for another three or four days. I was age and family responsibilities kind of changed. And I got to where I couldn't go off and spend the nights anymore. Mm -hmm. So I started hunting locally. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to hunt right here at my house a little bit it's not much but it's it's a place to get in the woods and, and possibly see some deer and possibly kill some and then i i've got a friend that lives up close to the state line and uh he's graciously uh, provided me a place to two different places to hunt up there you know and uh, i get to do that and then he's got a nice forest right across the state line which i can be there in an hour and uh, i'm able to hunt up there but it's just day trips now it used to go up there for three or four days now it's just day trips so you know with age and the passing of time my my hunting style has changed i still hunt a, a lot like i used to but not 
not as intense as I did when I was younger. Yeah, no, I I can understand. Um, how how is the, uh, the the public land situation there for uh, you know for the the average hunter? I mean, is it uh, is is it overcrowded? I know you said it's been a while since since you've gone you know maybe super deep in some of these, but is it crowded? Is there a lot of hunters? Is it you know one season is uh, you know particular worse than another? How is it down there? Well, I tell you what, Louisiana is a, is a hunting state. You know, they they call it Louisiana the sportsman's paradise, mm-hmm. and uh, they got a lot of hunters in Louisiana. And you got a lot of hunter participation in different wildlife management areas and the and the nice wildlife refuges that we have. So, yeah, it's a pressure deal, and uh, you know, you got. I can't say it's it's good or worse than where it is. It's just. But uh, they have a lot of management areas, and they have some national wildlife refuges, and uh, you just—it's just much normal like it is anywhere else. Yeah, understood. Now, I'm, I'm, is it—is uh, there a lot of bow hunters there, or is, uh, do you get mostly an influx of? Uh, you know, like up here we call it, well, you know, in a lot of the northern states, right? We call it uh, like the, the orange army, you know, when the, when rifle season starts. And that's when like the vast majority of, uh, you know, the deer are killed and the vast majority of people are, are out. I mean, you're, you're basically, you're literally stepping on a pumpkin patch, you know, trying to get through the woods. And, um, you know, is, is it the same down there? Is it, is you know, the, the, is it uh, a lot of bow hunters or just mostly like a big spike in the rifle season and then it dies down? No, they don't have a lot of hunters. It's a big sport down here. And, yeah. you know, I was, like I say, I was started back when they were hard at eating, you know, very, very few. And I've seen it grow to be big. And most, most of the guys that bow hunt are, are either season hunters. In other words, they do like I do now. You know, most people that hunt with a bow and gun season, they hunt with a gun. They take advantage of each season that's offered. And uh, so, yeah. you know, I would say the the majority is like that, and I'm sure you got some die-hard bow hunters. That's all they want to do mm-hmm. is bow hunt, and, and that's like it is. I would think. Yeah, yeah, we. Uh it's it's definitely growing here too i mean it, it it's it's nowhere near what the rifle you know influx of people are or let's call them like you know you know what one, one weekend you know a weekenders or like one weekend a year kind of hunter but um you know the, the whole the bow hunting thing is just you know exploded so there's 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 a lot of guys uh out and there's a lot of guys out uh in you know in deep places you know it got um, popular for a while um you know, to to be able to, to to walk in for miles, get away from people, you know, go where no no one else is. But I don't know if it's like that down by you, but up here, you know, you, you can walk, let's say, I don't know, a mile and a half, right? And then I'd be looking around, going, okay, this is perfect. I see a perfect tree. I see a perfect trail. This will be a great place to go. And I start walking up to that tree, and sure enough, there's someone's like screwing steps in there, which they're not allowed to leave here. But or uh, there's evidence that someone's been there. You can see like you know uh, marks on the tree where a climber or or, or you know the tree stand has gone up. So um, it's just something I think we all have to deal with everywhere, and just you know hunt the people as they say as, as you are going to hunt the deer because you know just because you go in a mile and a half two miles deep doesn't mean someone else didn't come in from another direction or by boat or something and uh, you know <laughs> kind of got got to the, the, the quote-unquote the perfect spot you know that that, that you saw so you know yeah you know the guys now they, they have so many options to learning how to how, how to make yourself a better hunter you know with so much stuff out there and, and videos and written and the internet and all that. I mm-hmm. mean, 
if, if they're serious about it, they're going to learn what's the most successful way to do it. And, and uh, they can compete. They can, they're going to be out there. The thing of the one or two guys not real distant from the vehicle and everything, that's a lot more people are doing it now than what they used to do. Absolutely. When you um, you you say you don't uh, you, you do more of a day trip now, but let's just say you know, give me an example. When you were going in for like a few days at a time, how how deep would you go? How far how far off the trail? How you know how long would you hike in? I've, I've packed deer out from two miles before. That was pretty much my limit. Two miles, okay. But uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I slept in my truck. I, I had my truck set up. Everything progressed, you know. I don't start off doing it the very best way. I had to I had to learn it and work my way through it and everything. But when I was in my prime, I was hunting out of a vehicle with a camper hole on it. And I had carpet in the back. And I had a, a bed in there with a real good mattress. I had curtains on the windows. I had a reading light at the cab end of my camper hole. I had a, a, a tailgate light at the, at the opposite end to, to work with my meals and stuff and everything. I had everything I needed in that in that truck or oh, they would think I would need to be gone for four days hunting solo. And uh, I, uh, I would I would spend overnight, you know, just over hunt and crash in the truck and get up and hunt again, do that for four days. And I spent as much time scouting, probably more time scouting for a high percentage hunt than I did actually sitting in a tree waiting on a deer. I just hunted real hard. Distance didn't make any difference. I feel poor to take my deer out. So I wasn't worried about getting a deer out from anywhere I was at. And I just hunted real hard, try to hunt smart. Now, what would you carry in there with you? Uh, let's say uh, you're, you know, you leave your truck in the morning and you're going in for the day. Let's say, right? What, uh, right. what, what are you carrying in your pack? What do you got? Not every, well, not every item, pack, but I mean the essentials. But, uh, I didn't yeah. have much in it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was mostly the pack of deer out with, but I had an army Alice pack. Of medium size, I put it on my back, and then my my lock-on limit. We started off with with uh with lock-on stands. Uh, let me let me go a little further. There was a there was a guy who was a pioneer in bow hunting in Louisiana. His name was Donnie Davis, and he came up with a lock-on stand. He was a pipe fitter weld, and he he welded up this little stand. It was a solid model with a seat on it and a platform, and it chained to a tree. And we used spurs to climb the tree and hang it. Well, after I saw his stand. Being an electrician, I designed my own version of it, and we made it out of electrical which is EMT, which I use on the job. Mm -hmm. I bend it. I got another friend. He welded it all up, and we got it. But we never could get it under 10 pounds. And we had it and everything. And then uh, Dick Isle came out with a lock-on windwalker and a lock-on limit. And uh, my hunting partner and I, we, we got we got us one. He had. He had the lock-on limit, and I had the windwalker, and, and up too tall for my for my windwalker. It was a real small one, so we swapped. And so I would get my my lock-on limit and put it on my back, and I had my spurs in it, strapped onto it, and with my house pack underneath. I had my bow, I had a compass, I had a camera, and then later on, starting '91, I started carrying a video camera with me. And, uh, I, uh, that was pretty much it. And uh, and I have a map of the area, usually. Yeah. <laughs> and I just go out and start lying. And a lot of my scout was with all that stuff I, I needed. And I would walk and scout looking for sign. And, and, and I, I looked for sign that made me hunt it instead of me making myself hunt it. I wanted a high percentage hunt. I wanted to put deer under me. 
and, and I didn't want to climb and hope, I wanted to climb and kill. So I was real picky about what I hunted, and then once I found a spot, I would I would climb up and, and hopefully get a shot, and then after I shot him, you know, I would, after waiting a little while, I would get down and, and do what it took to find him, and then take some pictures, and then, that, like I said, after 91, I'd do a, a video, show and tell video, of it, and then I would fit part him up as a buck, I cut his head off, and pack him out. Yeah, I want to I want to get to that in a little bit. I want to uh, elaborate a little bit more on that, but I want to make sure people like like heard you know heard, heard you properly and, and let this sink in. It seems like you know lately we we see I, I've said this before um, earlier here, but like you figured out a long time ago, and maybe you're not the only guy, obviously, but like guys that have been getting it done for a long, long time, you figured out a long time ago. Go in, go light, go scout the sign, and then when you see a good sign, right there hunt it correct i mean scouting is is as important or more important than anything else and then you know if it doesn't pan out you go somewhere else a lot of you know in, in the past few years you know we've heard about you know dan infault right and doing you know the kind of similar thing uh this you know the hunting sign hunting beds hunt you know scouting 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 and it's it's not necessarily a new uh a new tactic you know you you, you figured this out a long time ago my hunting partner, Lord Foreman, and I, we, uh, we had a proven method that worked, and we've been doing it since 1973. Uh, I, was, I started it at 69, bow hunting, but mm-hmm. by the time 73 round came around, I haven't changed it very little since 1973. In other words, if anything, I reverted back to, to a, a worse way to hunt with my age and everything. I can't, can't scout like I used to. I can't cover the different ground, but... Mm-hmm. I might I might be one place one morning, spend all morning, four hours walking, looking for something, and not find it. Just go ten miles from there, and walk another three hours, and find what I'm looking for, and climb back to make a kill. Absolutely. So, you know, we were very mobile, and and uh, we 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 made sign my on it. We didn't make ourselves on sign. Right now, do you subscribe to uh, the theory? You know, first time in, best time in, and then you know, not not necessarily hunt the same tree. Uh, or, or very, you know, more than once or something? Absolutely. You know, and, and I, I had a proven fact on that. I had a guy, which I had several, a lot of people come and ask me stuff, and, and I had one particular guy, he had 2,500 acres, he was in a club, and he asked me to come walk it with him and look at it. And I, and I said, sure, I'll go look at it. I like looking at new places. And he, he said, let me show you where I'm hunting at. So he had, he had four different stands on 2,500 acres, and he showed me each one up, and and he said, I said, well, where else did you hunt? And he said, that was it. And I said, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to sell those stands right there, get you a good climbing method where you can climb up and down real easy, real fast, and safe, and get you a little small lock-on stand. And every time you hunt, you hunt a different place. I said. I said, don't hunt the same place twice. I said, well, when you got those four stands hanging up there, it makes you lazy. So you alternate going from one to the other, but you're all sitting about 30, 40 yards around you. So you got 2,500 acres. And I said, man, you ain't taking advantage of all the property. Yeah. Yeah. You got to you got to be mobile. You got to be able to move and hunt different places and keep the deer guessing. Well, he, he, he took my advice and changed. He went from killing one deer a year to, uh, to limiting out every year after that. <laughs> yeah, well, good, because a lot, a lot of guys will, will, will hear that advice, 
and just never change. You know, they're like, ah, you know, I like my standards. You know, the the I'm sure you've run across this with, um, you know, other people hunt and in hunting clubs and stuff, which is popular in the South too. But, uh, you know, you'll have like a family property, let's say, and that's you know one one stand is like granddad's stand, and the granddad always hunts that stand, and then this is like mom's stand, and she always hunts that stand, and you know, and that's fine for like a like a deer camp scenario. You know, I've always said deer camp is different than normal hunting. You know, for the from the rest of the year. But it and, and a lot of times it's you know it's during the rut. Uh, deer are crazy anyway, running all around, and you know people get shots at these things you know by chance. But you're not really going and applying any like real like tactics that a real bow hunter would do to go and actually you know find these things where they are and keep moving and and, and being in you know in the perfect spot. Now you said uh, you you said climbing and you said climbing spurs. I want to touch on those. Um, you. You, do you still do you still use climbing climbing spurs or, or uh, have, you, have you tried sticks or what do, you, what do you normally do to get up in a tree? Well, you know, I've tried the sticks. I don't really like them. They're too big and too bulky and too difficult to transport to carry them when you're in the woods and all that. I yeah. Usually hunted too far to fool with them. So I, uh, I started off with a lot of sand and, and you know, real early years, first year, you know, and I knew that was going to work. And that's when we got into making the, the homemade lock on before they were ever even offered. You yep. couldn't buy one. And uh, and then, I, you know, that was with spurs, tree spurs and those things. They, they work really good. I mean, you strap those things on, it's full buckles, you got them on your legs, you walk up the tree, hang your stand, and get on it, and then you take them off and you put them back on it. And it's simple, they're not hard to carry. They, they interwine with my stand. When I use a stand, I'm, on, I'm using a saddle now, but but it's just so easy, so quick, and, and you don't have to prep a tree. And you climb around limbs and everything. It's just on any tree you want to. And uh, they're just so good. And then I got into the woodpecker drill and boat system in 83. I went and made a hunt in Alabama and got introduced to those. And I bought a woodpecker drill, and I got the boats. And for years, I, I just wouldn't use them. The spurs was just so so perfect for mm-hmm. what I was doing. And, and I just didn't use them. And then... As I got older, in like around 2005 and everything, my, my hunting style started changing. I started hunting smaller places. And, and now, my primary way is the drilling boat system. You know, I, I go in there and start drilling trees in September. I hunt small properties, and it's, it's limited areas that I can hunt. I know where the best places are. So I go in there and, just, and drill my trees with a drill motor. And But I always keep the little hand drill in my house with my boats. And, yeah. But I got these trees drilled. And I, it, it's nothing easier and nothing safer and nothing faster to walk up to a pre-drill tree and insert four boats in the in the already drilled holes while you stand on the ground and climb up and you insert six more as you climb and you're sitting there 20 foot high and it's safe. The grade eight boats they're not going to be in. They're not going to pull out. It just it's just perfect. I mean, as safe as it can be, as quick. It's, it's, it's no noise involved at all. It's totally quiet. And then when you come down, you pull your boats out, and you, you go about your way. Well, well, you know, it works perfectly like that. But still, right now as it is, if I know I'm not going to hunt this but one time, I'll bring my spurs, and I'll climb that tree. And if I think I'm going to hunt it two or, or more times, I'm going to drill it, even if I drill it with my hand drill mm-hmm. when I plant it. Yeah, so, we're, you know, we're not... 
we're not allowed to use uh you know in, anything to drills you know into the tree or screws into the tree here on public so um and even uh they don't they don't allow spurs on here because they which i which i don't understand because um if, if you look at a like like a hang on tree stand right like you know like a lone wolf or you know xop or, or what have you um you know it's got you know those the sharp edges you know the teeth and stuff on the back uh, you know, you, you cam lock the thing into the tree, you know, the, the platform, it's got the, you know, the bat wing on the, on the post, you know, on the seat post. And I, I, I can't see how spurs, you know, tear up the tree, you know, any more than, you know, a, a tight tree stand does. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't, I don't understand. They don't. That. Yeah, they don't. They don't. I, I got, it, just for an example, one of the places I'm hunting now, the guy that owns the property, he, he was He's big in spur hunting. He used spurs all his life. And I've seen oak trees that he must have climbed for 20 years in a row. Same tree. No, no, no telling how many times a season. Now, this thing's got, it's got scars on it. It's got tracks, two tracks parallel with each other going up the tree where he spurred in. Mm -hmm. and I'm talking about it's thousands of, of steps in that tree. Yeah. Those trees just as healthy as ever. He'd never climbed it. Just huge, huge, big old. Oak trees actually too big to climb right now because you don't have it's too big for a strap to go around and hang a lock on. Oh wow, yeah. It's like railroad tracks going up there where you spike that tree going up and down for years and years yeah. and years. I think it the worked that tree. Up. Go ahead. But I, I did have some cramps and rope on steps that mm -hmm. when I hunted uh, places that was just impossible to use the spurs of the woodpecker drill. I would use those. I didn't want to, and I don't like to. They they still bulky. You get ten of them in a bag with all that rope and everything rolled up. They bulky, and they and they're heavier than what, what the spurs are or, or the uh, drilling boat system. Yeah, no, I, I got. I got I got a question about the uh, the, the bolts. I, I've seen a couple of YouTube videos from guys using them, and, and like I said, they they're they're not they're not allowed here on public land because I think the you know the the fear is that you know the holes will get a disease you know disease in them or you know um, insects or whatever start killing the tree or whatever. But and, and and some people argue yes or no. Some say healthy tree doesn't matter. Um, I don't know. The jury's out. I guess I I, I don't have a, a say one way or another. But I'm always curious. Like you drill those holes in there. How do you put the bolt in? Does the bolt just like slide in by hand? And how does it not wobble up and down? Like how does it not get loose and kick out? It's just a uh, almost snug fit. That fit's a little bit larger than three eighths. Yeah. Just like a sixteenth or so, or thirty seconds larger. And it, it and it kind of wobbles a little bit when you're drilling. So it's going to drill a hole out a little bit. Yep. And you it's got to stop on the drill. You drill in and it stops and it just starts spinning. You can feel it's not pulling anymore. Mm -hmm. It's an arbor bit. You just you don't unscrew you you drill, you just pull it out and it pulls all the shavings out. And you just take a bolt and just insert it in insert it in there, you just push it in. And uh, the bolt's in two inches and you got four inches sticking out, so it's plenty enough for a step. It's okay. grade eight. I mean you, uh, my hunting partner weighs three hundred and five pounds and he don't have any problem with them at all. Okay, and the bolt's in there enough, obviously. Then it's got enough support on that on that on that shank that it doesn't just wobble up and down. I guess that was my question. Oh, no, you know, yeah. No, it doesn't move. When you step on it, it doesn't move. Okay. Okay. Uh, if it's a soft tree, like a poplar tree or, or a willow tree or a cottonwood or something like that, it's a soft bark tree. And what you do, you drill on a little downward angle so that bolt is sticking out less than ninety degrees from the tree. And okay. when you step, it might, that 
that wood is soft and it might bear down a little bit level out but it's, it's you never break break level you know like more than 90 degrees okay okay and it's just and, it, and what's the beauty of it once you drill that tree it's good for the rest of the season if, if you want to go back three or four or five weeks later or six two um, two months later and you want to hunt that tree that hole still accept that boat okay that sticky boat and then you climb up you don't even notice if you're walking through an area, it'd be all, I'm not going to say impossible to notice a tree was drilled, but it'd be, somebody have to really be looking for a drilled tree to see that it was drilled. So, you know, you, you, you got a tree that you can go in there and effortlessly insert boats as you climb and hunt and, and pull your boats out when you come down. Nobody knows you're even hunting there. Yeah, yeah, unless they're looking for those bolts. You know, I wish, um, I, I wish here, uh, you know spurs were allowed at least um because you know i'm carrying sticks and i've done the you know the modifications on them i've made them shorter and uh you know changed out the ropes to you know to, to amp steel uh you know daisy chain and things like that but either way i mean you're still carrying um like with, with, with a couple eighters it actually gets me to about 14 feet with two of them um yeah you know and three of them will easily get me to 18 but i mean if to, to not have to carry, I mean, no matter how small you make a stick, you're still carrying sticks, right? Um, it's still kind of bulky, and it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, this year I just switched to the saddle. Um, I just got it, uh, you know, a couple months ago here, so I've been doing some practice climbs and things like that. And, of course, I'm trying to get on this, um, you know, really streamlined, really lightweight, uh, really efficient system. And, you know, I, I, I would love to try some other methods, but I, they're, they're not allowed here. You know what I mean? So I think I'm kind of stuck with the sticks, um, you know, stuck with the sticks for now. Do you, uh, when you climb, you said you get up to about 20 feet. Is there, is there a preferred height that, that you go up to there? Or is that kind of dictated by, uh, you know, the, the backdrop of the, of the tree? Yeah, it dictates, uh, you know, the cover and the, the upper foliage and lower foliage part of the trees. Now, that makes a difference. But uh, when I use my uh, woodpecker drill to drill the holes, I, I usually normally drill 10 boats high. It puts me about a platform about 19 to 20 foot high, depending on how far I stretch the okay. boats out. And, uh, but uh, if I'm climbing my spurs, you know, I just climb till it feels right. <laughs> no, I 100% uh, understand, yeah. Now, do you, do you ever hunt from the ground, or do you have you always uh, hunted out of um, elevated position? No, I don't like hunting. Uh, with a gun made up on a ridge, looking down on a bottom, something like that, I might. But I still got my stand. You know, I, I'm strapped to a tree and step up on it and sit on it. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't like the deer to hunt on the ground. I, I want to see the deer coming. I want to have the advantage, and hunting elevated gives you an advantage. But I want to say something else about the, that, the damage to a tree. You drilling it like that? Mm -hmm. I've been doing this for 36 years, 83 I think I've been 36 years if I count it right. I've been drilling trees like that, and I've never seen one die from it. Okay. And what you do, you drill this this tree, and it, it that hole in the spring after the hunting season, it's the tree starts going and growing, and those holes closed up. And if you don't if you don't fill that hole by the time the next year comes up, you can't even see the scars on the tree. Oh wow! You really look for them. I mean, I got a I got an oak tree in my backyard. We've been living here for 14 years, and I drill that tree every, every September, and I practice shooting out of it. 
And uh, you, you can go out there and look at it now. You can see the holes where I drilled them last year, but you can't see the holes I drilled for the, for the other 13 years. Right? Yeah. And it, it, it's just, it, it doesn't damage the tree. It doesn't hurt the tree. It, it closes up during the spring. Yeah, that's that's what I hear. Everyone says, "Hey, as long as the tree's healthy, you know, it's going to heal up." And you know the the uh, you know the stories you hear about them dying are you know like a non-healthy tree that would be susceptible to disease anyway. You know, I, mean, I think you're just kind of opening up more holes for the. But you know, whether it's disease or or insects or or both or whatever, I think it's it's the health of the tree. You know, but yeah, I I've, I I've, I recently post I, I asked this question on the uh, the Saddle Hunter um, uh, f- uh, forum. And I said, you know, do, do bolts hurt trees, you know? And it seems, uh, you know, there's lots of opinions out there, but, you know, I mean, you, you, you can't deny history sometimes with people who have been doing it yeah, for forever. Yeah, six years. Yeah. I've, I've probably drilled as many holes as anybody has. Yeah. And, uh, six years, and I've never seen where a tree died from it. That's, that's, uh, that speaks for the process, I'd say. That's... And I definitely was drilling an oak in my yard, my house that I thought was going to damage it, that's for sure. The same goes with spurs too, you know. Yeah, well, the spurs. I mean, that. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, I can't. I can't see. I can't possibly see how that does any more damage than you know strapping on like 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 sticks too. You know, it's not just the stand that you're that you're um, you know putting against the tree and rat either either ratcheting or or you know camming over you know to make it nice and tight. Um, you right. know, we're also climbing with uh, you know steps and sticks and things like that, and we put the stick and then you know you put the strap around it and you yank down tight so it bites into the tree. I mean, you can't tell me that does any more or less damage than you know a couple spikes. I've I've never tried spikes, but it seems really. It's it's it, you know I think if you have I guess if you have the dexterity you know and in practice it, it seems like the way to go if you can do it I mean I, I would love to try some you know but like I said we can't it's not it's not allowed here so yeah now the uh, you you said you hopped into uh, a saddle uh, you you hunt out of a saddle now so how how long have you been doing that well this season coming up being my third season okay uh, I, I I pre-ordered a Kestrel when it first came out. I had, uh, listened to John Eberhard on a podcast mm-hmm. in September, and uh, he, he impressed me. Uh, I, I got interested in it again. I bought a tree suit back in 2005 mm-hmm. when it first came out. I got pumped up about that and got it. Instantly didn't like it. I, I didn't like anything about it, so I sold it. But what John was talking about, that little minimalist saddle uh, that he uses and everything, it got me curious. So I, I did a search on saddle hunting, and I found saddlehunter.com, and uh, I went on there and started educating myself. And then I saw they had the Kestrel was in a pre-order condition, so I ordered one that first day actually. And uh, of course, it, it didn't come in until halfway through the season. I was able to start hunting with it again, but but uh, I, I like it. I, I, the main reason I went to it was a safety factor. I hunt solo so much, and and uh. It wouldn't wouldn't be as hard to find me nowadays as it was 15 years ago, but uh, still, I wouldn't want to fall out of a tree and would buy any. Don't get me wrong, I still I work out way three days a week and I walk and I'm pretty I'm pretty good shape. Uh, I feel like and, and I can still climb with spurs and all that, but uh, I'm not what I used to be. I de- definitely don't want to fall. I'm more safety conscious every year, so I, I like the fact knowing it was. Used correctly, using a saddle correctly, it's impossible to fall. I really like that that part of it, and that's the main reason I got it. 
but since I got it and I've been using I'm recognizing a lot of the benefits with it that my lock-on limit didn't offer me. Uh, comfort, I can sit there longer, be more comfortable, I can change positions better. Uh, it's more fun. No, yeah. <laughs> swinging I, down, and you look behind you a lot better. You can, I can shoot behind me, whereas in a lock-on stand, I couldn't shoot behind me. Right. Uh, do you have any kind of platform uh, for your feet? Yeah, I started off with the uh, with the uh, ring of steps, with the bare steps, plastic horse bare steps. Yep. And I, I didn't care for those that much. They, they hurt my feet. I, I didn't like the position I was on the tree and everything. You know, it was all right, but I got to, I bought a Predator when they first came out, the Predator platform, mm -hmm. yep. and I absolutely loved it. it. It was, you know, I hate to say the word game changer. It's used so much. It's know, used a lot, yeah. It was, <laughs> was a game changer. In fact, I had to use my limit for a pla uh, platform when I brought my spurs because uh, it I couldn't figure out how to take my spurs off on those ring of steps and everything. Mm -hmm. So I just, my limit don't weigh but seven pounds, you know, so I'd bring it and hang it and then step on it with my spurs on and, and take them off like I've been doing since 1973 and uh, hang them up and I'd get ready to get down. I would, uh, and, and I, I'd hang with, I'd take a seat on that limit and raise it up out of the way, and I'd actually sit in my saddle facing the tree using my uh, same stand I've been using forever. And then when I got ready to get down, I'd put my spurs on the same way I always did and come down. Have you and ever dropped one of those things accidentally? I'm always like, uh, you know, I, for me, I, I'm a worrier. I'm like a worst case scenario guy, right? Like, hey, what if I'm like, you know, 15, 20, whatever feet in the tree, and I drop let's say a rope or a stick, or in your case, uh, you know, one of the spurs. Has that ever happened to you? It actually has. How do you get <laughs> I, down? I was on a hunt. Yeah, it was several years ago. I was about 20, 25 foot up in a tree. And thankfully, it was like a telephone pole sized tree. It wasn't a real big tree, maybe a little bit larger diameter than a telephone pole. And what I did, I had a had a string, a camo string on my Alice pack that I would hang my Alice pack from. And I'd I hung my Alice pack, and then I hung my uh, my spurs on, on my Alice pack, and then I, I had borrowed my daughter's video camera. I had had some my video camera to California to get repaired, and I borrowed hers, and I had it hanging on top of that. And I'm sitting there, I've been in the street for a couple of hours, and all of a sudden I heard something pop. Then I heard, a, a, a second later, I heard something hit the ground behind me. <sighs> And I said, what in the world was that? And I turned around, I looked, and that string, it broke. My Alice pack, my spurs, and, and the video camera was laying on the ground. At the oh, jeez. Oh, the first thing I worried about, my daughter's video camera. <laughs> and I said, oh, man, I can't believe this. And then I got to think, well, you know, how am I going to get down from here? So I thought about it a long time. I finished the hunt up and everything. And I had a full-body harness on it, which I hated. I hated to use them. Went from a, uh, just a just a safety belt type deal for mm -hmm. with a lanyard. Yep. And I'd always use that. And I mean, I asked myself, I better start being more safer. And I hated that full body harness. But anyway, I said, I don't want that thing hanging up on nothing when I'm coming down this tree. And luckily, there wasn't any limbs on it at all. It was just a, 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 a water oak tree that was about a little bit bigger than a pole and, uh, and would limbless all the way to the ground. So anyway, I took that harness off and I threw it to the ground and I, I grabbed hold of the uh, tree and stepped off on my stand and I kind of 
chin myself down, get below the stand, and then I bear hugged the tree and just put myself down. Oh, man. So I got, and I put my hooks back on and put my horns back on. I climbed back up and took my stand down and climbed back down. Jeez. I said, I've got a stronger, better, secure strength on my, on my Alice pack to hang it up after that when I got on. Yeah, like I said, I'm 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 new to the saddle, but I mean it. Uh, I guess it really wouldn't matter whether it's saddle or or, uh, or tree stand. But um, you know, for for me, I, I'm I'm going to look into. Uh, I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to look into like a rappel, some sort of rappel device with about maybe 20 feet of rope. So uh, yeah. you know, I don't climb super high anyway, but uh, it would be nice to have a separate. You know, and it, and it wouldn't be in my pack. You know, because my pack's hanging. Like you said, what if you know if if. Uh, if for some reason I'm standing, because I'm standing on a little platform that's attached to my step, um, it uh, it's like a little uh, uh, rectangular kind of mini platform that attaches to the to the top of my top step, and you know my right. thing is okay. Well, what if the top step gives out or the the amp steel breaks and down it goes right? Um, and I'm getting like seven, you know, about seven feet or so between steps, so I'm gonna have to shimmy down somehow. So right. um, I'm gonna look into like a you know like like a black diamond uh you know like a twenty dollar like rappel device with maybe i don't know 20 feet of uh you know eight millimeter rope or something like that and and practice obviously you know and that will be on uh on one of my belt pouches that's that's on me all the time rather than in my pack so if something you know if i fall down a little bit you know and you know because we tend to hang our packs i do anyway you know kind of high up out of the way so if i'm standing on yeah if i'm standing on something I, with my saddle and everything, I hang it right on my right knee, just around the tree from my right knee. Oh, you do? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mine I do kind of up around the corner, you know, so it's not blocking my, you know, uh, my way. So I figure if I, if it anything gave out and I slipped down a little bit, yeah, fine, I'd be hanging there, but I may not be able to reach my uh, my backpack, you know, to be able to get into it. So, yeah, th that's part of the fun of this for me too, is you know, kind of figuring out new. Uh, new streamlined, uh, you know, method of doing, you know, doing this and the logistics of everything and what rope goes where and 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 um, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I'm I'm I haven't hunted out of it yet. I've I've practiced shot out of it. I've gone up and down maybe about a dozen times, um, and I've got a pretty good, uh, pretty good, pretty good system in it. I, I I like it, and I've got a little backup system. I've got I'm using my lineman belt as a secondary. Uh, tether because I've got it up there with me right. anyway, and I'm running two bridges. I'm still not trusting one bridge. I'm using tubular webbing. I've got a mantis, and um, you know, but each each tether has its own bridge, and they both work, and neither one of them gets in the way of one another, and they're almost in line. They don't clank, so I've I've kind of appeased myself a little bit that that's going to give me more safety, which I think it will. But now I'm just going to work on uh, like an emergency uh, way to kind of get down the tree, kind of you know just in case. But like I said, that's kind of the fun of. Uh, you know, tinkering, um, tinkering with all this. So, yeah, now, you gotta have a backup plan. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, okay. you, uh, you also are known for, well, at least the videos I've seen. Um, it, it's it's popular nowadays to this idea that we're gonna like quarter deer and pack it out, right? I mean, we might we might be deep in, even if we're not very deep in. No one wants to drag a deer more than a couple hundred yards. It's exhausting. So, you're one of the. I mean, you. It, it seems like a popular thing now, but I mean, you've been doing this this quartering up and, and packing out a deer for a long, long time. I watched one of your YouTube videos. Fantastic video. I don't know how. I don't know what year you put that out in. It's not very recent, but I mean, it tells uh, you everything I, I you need to know. It. I 
attended in you do it honestly um it's 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 i mean it, it's a no-brainer like you know why 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 would anybody want to drag unless you have to uh here again i'm in minnesota um on public land um i did get a clarification you can't um you you, you have to bring the whole deer i mean you can field dress it the only thing that can that can stay in in the field is you know the guts and everything like that but um they do allow you and i called the dnr and verified this they will allow you to pack out deer so you can quarter the deer out but you just got to go back and get everything right so um you know unlike being able to kind of debone in the field or quarter it up in the field skin it you know and then just you know bring the quarters back or, or meat back or whatever in, in in you know game bags um and leave the skeleton and and things like that you know in the woods um you're not allowed to do that but they you know they will allow you to make multiple trips and get everything out. So I guess, you know, not the end of the world, but, uh, you know, it saves you from having to drag something, you know, um, you know, in the winter, you know, I'll use a, I'll use one of those sleds, you know, I've got one. It's, it's not an actual jet sled brand, but it's one of those sleds, you know, I've got it hooked to like a, you know, a rope. I'll pull that. And I mean, that just slides along, along the ice or along the, uh, along the snow. That's not terrible. But, uh, the rest of the time, I mean, quartering is the way to go. You know, I mean, it's just, oh, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. My longest back out was was two miles, and uh, and my my partner, Lord, he'd kill one too. He'd double back out two miles, but he'd kill one three miles back out. Oh and really? He would kill a big old eight point. It killed him, and that's not only packing the, the quarters and, and all that out, but as his stand and his spurs and and uh, everything he brought in, uh, it was on a levee. He'd walk, walk down. Everything he said it was a three mile pack out, which uh, he could have that. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Now I want to. Western 
interstate hunters, but down here in deep south, that's a long pack out. <laughs> wow, no, absolutely, you know, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, no, no one wants to. It, it's going to suck one way or another, but you know, packing it up versus dragging it is uh, certainly going to suck less. So, um, I want to move on to uh, the last thing I want to talk about with you is uh, is your equipment. Now, what do you? Um, what are you using for for a bow these days? And then let's talk about your setup a little bit. Well, I, I started off with a recurve, in, in, uh, when I first started hunting the thing, and I was able to recurve from uh, let's see what it'd be 80, 68, 69 to seventy six. I hunted with a recurve, and I went to a compound bow in '75. I hunted with four different compound bows through the 92 season. In the 93 season, I went back to a recurve. And I, I just got one from a, just, a, a, just a catalog type recurve I went back to. Yeah. And I had real good success with it. And I got serious and I ordered a custom made bow from Acadian Woods. Tim Mullins down in Slidell, Louisiana makes a Acadian Woods bow. And it's a beautiful, durable. A well-made bow, and and I'm gorgeous, still hunting yeah. with it. it. Was my first season? It was '94 season, and and hunting with it through this past season, and we'll start this next season with it also. So that's it's a it's a 60-inch bow at uh, 58 pounds at 28-inch draw, and it's a one-piece recurve. Beautiful, beautiful. And so, and, and are you pulling? Are you pulling uh, 28, or are you pulling more or less? I probably pull less now, you know. Uh, age, man, age. <laughs> yeah. No matter how you fight it, though, so it still takes advantage. If it's 75, I'm sure I'm not pulling no 28 inch. I'm probably pulling about 27. Right, right. So, well, yeah, I, I'm at 27 now, and I'm, you know, for, for you know, 40 to 45 is kind of what I'm doing because I mean, I'm I'm only 45 years old, and my, you know, my shoulders at this point are erect and and being more erect, you know, so. Um, you know, and I, I shoot, I try to shoot every day, you know, and, uh, that kind of repetitive motion, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can shoot heavier bows, but I, I don't think I'd be doing it more than, you know, 10 shots at a time. So I've kind of settled on a nice heavy arrow and, um, you know, close shots kind of thing. What do you, uh, what do you, what are you doing for, um, for an arrow? Well, uh, I've shot aluminum just about a few years ago. I went to a problem and I, I, I really... I really shoot just about anything. I, I'm I'm not I'm not the greatest shot, especially when it comes to deer and everything. But so I don't worry about too much about the technical part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, most average distance for all my kills, compound and and recurve is 15 yards. So yeah. you know, it's pretty close there. So I'm probably the least technical guy you'll ever talk to about. about <laughs> stuff. Well, I mean, I, I you seem to have figured have, something have, out. I had two different compound bows. One of them had a toothbrush for a rest, and the other one had a sweatband for a rest I put on there. So okay. that gives you an idea how technical I am. Well, I mean, uh, you're, you're talking I, to a guy I, who's put a piece of chopstick underneath their uh, 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 rest on on their recurve before, you know, to give it a little bump. So, I mean, you know, what, whatever works, <laughs> right? So Yeah, well, we, we're on the same uh, train here. Yeah, what about your broadhead? What are you, what are you shooting on the, on the tip? I shoot a two-blade. I, I like I like the Dewitkis. I like the uh, Magnus, the Simmons. Just I might have three different kind of broadheads on my quiver at the same time. I don't really worry as long as they sharp, right? And they fly good. And the only time I when I, I practice a lot, you know, I, 
good bed, and I don't ever shoot bird heads. Once I I get a, I'll try one, and if it flies good and it don't wobble and don't, don't uh, fish tail or anything like that, I'm good with it. And and uh, I can't shoot good enough to tell the difference in a broadhead and a same weighted field point. So I do all my shooting with a field point, and then when I shoot in the deer, I got a broadhead on it basically. So like I say, that's that, the bow and me. I'm not as that, that mystical traditional style guy a lot of guys are it's just a tool for me you know it's just a fun way to kill deer and it's more fun for me with a with a traditional bow than it is with a so that's why and it's simple i like stuff real simple no no i i i absolutely agree um do you do any uh do you do any out-of-state hunting at all or i mean have you gone you know have you gone west or north? I guess north for you sometimes. Have you gone west at all? Done any western hunting for, you know, elk or bear or anything else? I've actually hunted in thirteen different states. Oh I've wow! Hunted in Colorado, and Texas, and Oklahoma, and Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, Missouri, uh, Tennessee, uh, Georgia, Florida. I like to say South Carolina. I've, I've made the rounds, but that's that's the good old days. Now I just kind of hunt around the house. Yeah, well, I mean, there's something to be said for that, you know. I mean, you just, uh, do, you, do you spend, um, now you said you probably spend a little less time in the field these days, or uh, do, you, do you still get, how many hunts, uh, you know, how, how long is the season down there in Louisiana? Do you still get, you know, plenty of uh, seat time in? Well, you got, you got two areas in the state that starts uh, September the 15th, and it goes through February the 15th. But the general area of Louisiana is from October 1st to January 31st. Okay, okay. And you're, um, how, how many, let's put it this way, I know you keep records, and uh, we're not going to go through all the records, because uh, I think others have heard, I mean, you've, you, you, you've kept the record of, of every deer, pretty much, almost every deer you've ever shot, what day, where they were, you know, uh, how many deer did you kill last year? I killed two. Killed two. Well, two more than yeah. I did, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I killed, I killed two rack bucks last year, and that was it. Awesome, awesome. Do you do uh, do you do any of your own processing and stuff, or do you uh, do you have that done for you? Uh, I'm sorry, you said processing. Yeah, I mean, do you do you, you know do you cut it up yourself? Do you? Uh, I mean, what oh, do you? Yeah, we, we uh, my wife and I are 50, 50 on that, on the cutting and, and yep. wrapping and all that. Uh, she's, she's been helping me since day one on it and everything. So we do all that ourselves. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I like uh, that's 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 half the fun for me is. Uh, you know, making the you know the sausages and the and the, and the jerkies and the, you know everything else with it. So I I really like uh, I really enjoy doing when that. I was, so. When I was raising, when we was raising our, I'm here Nick. We was raising our family. Uh, I I felt like I wasn't supplying enough meat if I didn't kill ten deer a year. You know, it was a meat supply for the whole year. Mm -hmm. And uh, nowadays it's different. My wife, she's tired of cooking and food with it, so. I'm not really interested in killing the numbers of deer like I once was. You know, I kill two. I feel like I hunt a lot, and I, I, I hunt as much as I can, or as I want to anyway, put it like that. Right. But I, I'm not worried about killing deer like I used to, and I, I just enjoy the hunt. If I get a chance at a decent buck or something, I'll, I'll take it. And uh, just, we don't need the meat. We're giving most of the meat away now. She right. She's cooking. All right, I got two two questions for you here, and you can, you know, you don't have to elaborate very deep into these. It can be like very kind of short answers. One of them is, what do you think throughout your entire hunting career? What was your what was your one biggest like failure? Um, something you thought, 
was going to go your way and it didn't, whether it could be a shot that, that went wrong or, uh, you know, like your mishap maybe like with, uh, you know, the, the, the climbing spur falling. Um, and then I'm going to ask you what, I guess, one, one best piece of advice you could give to, let's say, a new hunter. So you can start with the failure first. Well, I missed a really, really big, big, big buck. Probably the biggest buck I've ever seen. In fact, I know he is. And uh, when I when I first saw him, I, it was uh, I was hunting a transition area between a select cutover that was grown up pretty good to, to open woods, and it was, it was in the path of where they was going to agriculture from the bed to the agriculture, and it was trails in there. And uh, I had I had been scanning out in this cutover. And, and like I say, the weeds were a pile of thing, you know. And I, it was it was like it wasn't bad at all. Sitting it was bad. It looked a fifty-five gallon drum laying on the side out there. Okay, and I remember seeing that barrel out there. And about that time, a head swung around. It was just nothing but horns. Right? Oh. I don't. Oh, you know, I don't see enough big bucks to know. Like I said, but he was a one fifty-five or anything like that. He was the biggest thing I ever seen. Yeah. I, I would think he'd be close to Boone and Crockett. That's how big he was. And anyway, I saw where he's at, and and uh, I watched him a long time. And, and he stood out there, and finally started working his way to, toward me. And he was going to pass on a trail that wound up uh, 25 yards. And uh, and I watched him come, and I watched him come, and I watched him come, and I got all everything settled. I was hunting with a compound at this time, and I said, I'm going to shoot him for for 30. He's got to be 30. No, I'm shooting for 25. He's got to be 25. And when he got time for, to shoot him, that was like, at the last second, I decided he was 30. And I shot, and I shot right over the top of his back. Right oh, no. <laughs> so that's probably the most disappointing thing that ever happened to me. Okay, we've been there. I shot, I shot 25 like I originally was going to do when I, when I pulled the anchor. I'd have killed him. And I'd have never, ever had a chance to kill another deer that big. No, oh, man. All right, so one piece of advice, other than to get a rangefinder or do better at ranging, what's the one piece of advice would you give, uh, to, let, let's, let's say to a novice hunter, not, not necessarily like an experienced one, but someone new, uh, a year or two in, doesn't have you know the experience that you do, what's the one thing you would say? Oh, Lord, prepare, prepare yourself. Study as much as you can, learn as much about deer as you can, ask as many questions as you can people that's already been there and done that and then try to have as much confidence in yourself as you can and learn it confidence is huge isn't it i mean if you go in um you know i don't want to put words in your mouth but uh you know if, if you go in thinking man i'm never going to see anything i'm a terrible hunter i'm this i'm that i haven't seen then you're just you know i, I don't really believe in a whole lot of like you know woo woo stuff out there you know like attracting you know good luck or whatever but a lot of times you just got to make your own luck and believe you can do it i mean do you agree yes confidence is huge yeah, yeah. if you if you hope you kill something you know you're not going to do nearby as good as you know you're going to kill something hey you know what i think we're going to end it right on there i love that quote i'm going to i'm going to use that probably in one of the show notes so uh, Warren, I appreciate your time. I want you to stick around here after I uh, say say the goodbyes here for uh, the people listening, and then uh, you and I can hang up. But um, where uh, where can people find your stuff? Um, at the age of seventy five, well, you're still you're much, still pretty savvy on social media. I'm pretty much Warren Womack on Instagram. I'm Warren Womack, and on 
uh, Facebook, I'm Warren Womack, and on YouTube, I'm Warren Womack. So if you if you do that, or, or you you Google that, you, you Google my name, and it'll show up. I it, would think it's going to show up. Are you going to do any more videos? Um, I I referenced some videos out there saying about how you uh, were doing that packing out video and stuff. Are you going to do any more YouTube stuff? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, carry, I still carry a camera with me every time I go, but it's mostly for show and tell. <laughs> when I was doing my serious filming and everything, I, I was seeing a lot of deer, and I don't see that many deer anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's not worth setting the camera up like I used to. I got gotcha. you. So I, I don't know, but I got some old stuff. I might, I might still share it. If I, I got over 200 videos on YouTube, just little short clips and stuff. And and I apologize for the quality of it, for for, for the better part of the majority of them, is because when I started down with those things, we was on the slowest dial-up internet that, in the in the history of internet. Yeah. I mean, it took me forever just to download a, a one-minute clip or something like that, and it just too time-consuming. And I made the quality as slight as I could still be able to see it so it'd be faster than right so right once I got on uh, high speed internet you know it, things started improving so well I know a lot uh, of people including myself would love to see them because uh, there's you know there's some there's some pretty good uh, pretty good content out there and I, you know no one no one can really get enough of this stuff so yeah but you know when I first started filming the, uh, I, I was getting a lot of footage and I was getting some air impact stuff like that and I started showing people and this was in the 90s, and uh, a lot of people encouraged me to make a video. Bow hunting videos were just getting started back then, and nobody had ever made one that, to my knowledge, that the cameraman and the shooter was the same person, in other words, self-filmed mm -hmm. entirely. And, uh, I took some, some footage I had, and I put together what a video I named The Ultimate Challenge, and it wasn't because I was bow hunting, because I was the shooter and the cameraman, too. It was all self-filmed, and, and uh, man, I sold a ton of those things, and sold them for a long, long time. I finally got embarrassed about selling people still asking for them. And I just, <laughs> I just told them I didn't help them available anymore. It's more trouble than it's worth to yeah. try to provide them and everything. But I, I actually made about, I think it was six or seven videos that I sold commercially and everything. But that, that's, that's, that's in the past now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going a different way now from that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like I said, you were, you were a pioneer and you didn't even know it back then. You know, everything with, like I said, going well, in deep I in the quartering. The and, and yeah. Some of the guys I hunt with, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to try to name them all because I forget one to leave one out, but I hunted some really good hunters yeah. that I learned a lot from. Well, I hope people can learn from this one. So uh, I'm going to end it here. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Go check out all of Warren's uh, Warren stuff. It's it's really really good stuff. I'm telling you, uh, this guy's still getting it done. 75 years old. He puts a lot of us to shame. Uh, in fact, we were doing this recording um, after he got back from the gym. He told me the hours that he was going to go to the gym, and it's way more than I ever go. So, uh, <laughs> so kudos to you. And uh, so go check out. Um, uh, if you like this, if you like this uh, podcast, please leave a rating. That's really, really important. The ratings uh, gets us, uh, you know, heard and um, uh, ranked, uh, so other people can see them. And go check out the YouTube channel, Bowhunting Soul. Come check out uh, uh, the Facebook group and all that stuff. So, uh, want to thank Warren for uh, his time today. I really appreciate it, and I will talk to you guys next week. Thank you. <laughs>